It's show 52 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, the industry news and Ward Como of the Fire Protection International Consortium. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. See, O'Neill celebrating 30 years, 30 years in business. O'Neill released the first commercially available record storage software way back in 1986. And back then it was called RS-DOS. Um, some of you might actually remember that. Uh, the software introduced barcoding to what was then called the ACRC community or association, and it did it on a commercial scale. Way back then, Tim O'Neill and uh, the group at O'Neill Software were told this would never catch on. And you know what? Today, we can clearly say that those naysayers were wrong. It did catch on, and it continues to catch on. So if you want to know more about what you can learn from O'Neill Software and how you can benefit, you can see them at and learn more about them at O'NeillSoft.com. Hey, August is more than half gone, and I'm not even joking. So, shall we get started? I think so. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and it's another show. It's our 52nd show. So we're this is the very last show of the first year of our, our show, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, we are extremely uh, privileged. Uh, I, I feel incredibly lucky to be part of the greater RIM community, and it has offered me so many wonderful things, and it's this show is my way of really connecting with so many wonderful people in this industry and talking to them and hearing their story and ultimately as I hear it sharing it with you over this last year we have had the privilege of getting to know so many cool people and hearing their story and hearing their service and hearing what they're doing and in so many ways providing a, a, an opportunity for you to learn more. So I, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you continue to learn from it. I realize you can't listen to it all the time, but but don't forget, you can actually set it up as a, as a feed on your iTunes device. So if you have an iPod or an iPad or uh, any one of those kind of devices that plugs into your iTunes um, control system or your iTunes software, you can actually get this on a on a recurring basis. It j- downloads automatically to your phone or to your iPad, and you can listen to the show when it's convenient for you. So, hey, think about that. Try that out. Uh, today on the show, I'm excited to uh, introduce and uh, help you get to know a little bit more Ward Como. Ward Como is the fire protection dude in the industry. This guy has been doing this for a long time, uh, knows fire uh, protection stuff better than probably anybody else in the world as it relates to our industry, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to him in a few minutes. But first, I want to uh, catch you up on the industry news. 
because that's really important uh, before we talk to Ward. But um, yeah, lots to talk about. Uh, yesterday, Brambles, parent company of Recall, announced the goal to divest itself of the Recall division. Wow, this is big. Now, it doesn't appear that the division is doing bad at all, so the the divesting of the company isn't really because there's anything wrong with recall, it appears. Sales revenues are up with recall. Carton growth is uh, up at 5% growth. Profits are at 17%, and that's up for recall. Bottom line, looks like Brambles needs to use the recall sale to shore up its net debt to EBITDA ratios. So it looks like the Australian financial markets seem particularly unfazed by the announcement. It's exciting to us because, well... Uh, it'll be interesting to see who snatches up recall and what happens as a result of uh, that acquisition. We'll see how long that takes to unfold, but uh, I think that's pretty exciting news in the industry this week. Speaking of acquisitions, when Canton sells its mainland European operations to Rainus, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, which when Canton CEO Eric Bourne said was to enable them to focus exclusively on their UK businesses. Uh, it doesn't appear like the records management division is affected by this sale, but interesting to note. Crown relocations. We're dealing internationally today, so Australia, Europe, and then Crown Relocations has made a strategic investment in building a state-of-the-art warehouse facility in Mongolia. Crown Mongolia's new warehousing facility is currently under construction and on target for completion of phase one of the buildings, October 2011. The warehouse project is built on 107,000 square feet of land owned by Crown. Crown will offer household goods, logistics, and records management services from this particular facility. It is an industry leader of its kind in Mongolia, being the first international standard warehouse in the entire country. The facility will have 24-hour securities, uh, closed-circuit television cameras, fully equipped with fire detection and sprinkler systems, all the stuff that we're pretty pretty much part of our world. But for them uh, in Mongolia, this is new. Uh, Crown will also implement environmentally friendly features to the facility, such as carbon offset, rainfall collection, recycling systems, and solar panels. Uh, there's an additional 86,000 square feet of land ready to build out phase two of the project. So congratulations to uh, Crown. That Hey, Nate announced board approval of its highest and most aggressive budget ever at just over $3 million. Nade planned initiatives for the coming year include uh, four new video productions, including new sales video and a video promoting the importance of Nade AAA certification to customers' compliance strategies. The association attributes support for additional video marketing to the success of its customer employee training video released in May 2011. Among the other projects approved by NAID board are consumer attitude study in Australia, disposal habits studies in London and in Madrid, a web-based training program for NAID member employees, a law firm marketing program and continued promotion of the recently released doctor's office marketing program and the customer employee training program. Nade reports that its 2011-2012 budget also include the launch of Nade Asia, including a series of meetings to be held throughout the region this coming fall. The cool thing is the Nade board, even despite all this, has decided against a dues increase in 2012, making the third consecutive year with no increase, the organization says. So cool on Nade. Congratulations. That's cool news. Hey, if you have any news to share, if you're selling your company and want me to announce it before it goes public, hey, drop me a line. If you're about to acquire recall, then hey, let me know. It'd be, it'd be great to hear from you. 
the best place to do so is right here on the Rim Pro Report, and I'd love to hear from you. Hey, I got to get Ward Como on the line. Hang on while we get him. Ward Como is a principal with the Fire Protection International Consortium Incorporated. Ward is the expert on all things related to fire protection in the industry. He's been actively involved in the rim industry a long time, and I am really pleased to have him on the show today. Ward, are you there? Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we've, uh, we are uh, pleased to be here and have been involved with PRISM and the uh, records industry for uh, 25 years. Really? Has it been 25 years? Yeah, I uh, moved to California and got involved at the records industry, uh, assisting uh, initially Iron Mountain and then other clients over the years and have been uh, working in the, in the industry almost full time since then. Wow. So tell me, tell me your story. How did you initially get into the fire protection business? I graduated from uh, college in 1969 and got a job with a large insurance company. It was called Factory Insurance Association, which is similar to Factory Mutual. Uh, that The one I work for is no longer around. Yeah. And they taught me the basics of property protection, yeah. and I stayed with them and then went on to other companies as the, the years went by and uh, work for at engineering firms and uh, those type of things, and then moved to California with an engineering firm and then started my own firm out here. But the, but the focus was, was for you always around fire protection, or was, was it broader than that? No, it was always, uh, it's always been fire protection. Really? I uh, said the insurance company taught me the basics of uh, property protection, sprinkler systems, fire alarm systems, and so forth, and I just stayed with it. I went with a, uh, another engineering firm and developed fire protection requirements for the uh, oil and gas industry for offshore platforms, uh, worked in uh, sales of, of fire protection equipment. I've always been in fire protection. I wow. found this niche and just liked it and stayed in it. So what's what's a day life in your world? What what do you do on a daily basis? Tell me a little bit about what, what happens, the kind of stuff that comes across your plate, some of the th- different things that you involve yourself in. My, my job is to assist clients with issues uh, on a day-to-day basis. I get calls from a client that says he's having an issue with fire department has made an inspection and he has some problems with it. And I'll review what, what occurred and try to work with the fire department to resolve the issue. In a lot of cases, we uh, I have to just tell the client, no, you, you have to put sprinklers there or you have to you know, have a door here or you have to have smoke and heat vents. You, you have to do these things. But I can also assist in mitigating those issues. Right. Some days, that's my biggest uh, thing is to do that type of thing. I assist uh, clients in developing requirements for a... A, a new facility oh, okay. or an existing facility want to upgrade it. They want to change from an order pick to a catwalk system. Right. And that's, that's the type of things that, uh, I do on a daily basis. It, it, it varies. Every day is not the same. I don't come in and yeah. grind out specs every day. Uh, one of the best things I can do for a client is in the development phase, they're looking for a new building. Yeah. I can assist them and go in 
uh, they'll pick out three or four buildings, and sometimes they'll call me or I'll actually go look at the building and say, okay, if you take this building here, you're going to have to do this, this, and this. If you take this other building, you may not have to do anything. Or the yeah. third building is suited to your demands of you have to have a certain height and you have to have a certain size. So I, I assist them there, and when they pick the building, I will assist them in what are you going to do? You're going to do an order pick system or a catwalk system, or you're going to do an open file. Uh, you're going to do uh, vaults, what have you? Yeah. Then we assist them in developing the protection requirements. Okay. Based on what they are doing. So let's let's just talk about new construction for the time being. Sure. So um, new construction, a lot of times people end up going to the racking company first. And mm-hmm. I, I assume you have extremely <clears throat> good relationships with the racking company because they, they need your expertise. But um, it, the it sounds to me like it would be beneficial if people talk to you even before they went to that because the fire protection stuff is such an integral part of where they're going, especially in the rim industry. Uh, that's correct. It it would benefit if, like I said, if they know that they're going to move into San Diego, right? And they have they have looked at warehouses. Now, every real estate guy is going to say, "Well, yeah, it's sprinkler. It's okay. It's going to fit your needs." But is it really? Is it a uh, ordinary hazard office system, or is it a sprinkler system that has the correct density that meets your demand? And if you say, "Yeah," then you so I'm going to take that building down. The, the, the next thing you do is you get a get a rack supplier to have them come in and uh, and do a basic layout and bid the jobs, and then I work with uh, the rack supplier. Sometimes I work directly with the rack supplier and not with the client because the rack supplier has said, I need your help with issues with the fire department. They don't understand the storage arrangement or right. in a lot of cases they need what they call a high pile analysis. In order, in some cities, in order to store vertically, uh, once you get above 12 feet, you're in high pile storage. And in that case, you must have a uh, high pile permit. Well, there's a lot of information that must be developed and given to the fire department. And that's one of the important things I do for my clients. Yeah. Well, legend has it, legend has it that you are, um, you are one of the guys who can walk in and create magic apparently with fire departments. <laughs> I don't think, uh, it's a good legend and I, and I like it, <laughs> but, uh, I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's that so much. It's understanding and knowing the code and knowing what you can do and what you can't do and what's acceptable and what's not. And then uh, right. you go and explain the code to the official and, and, in the old days, I say the old days, but even now, a lot of people don't understand the process of, of record storage. Yeah, they see just a big room of paper, and they're right. they're concerned. So I, I can I explain everything and put it out logically, and they they have been uh, very receptive to my uh, my presentations. Well, it it seems like that at a local level sometimes the the people doing the inspections and who are who are sort of making the fuss really don't understand the code like you do. And that's correct. They they're not interpreting, or they they see all that paper and say, "Oh, this is an evil thing." And right. it's not. It is a regular hazard. And it's just stored in a different configuration. Most right. inspectors walk into a warehouse and they see all these big racks, wide aisles, and 
30 fork trucks running around. We right. walk into a record center, and it's racks are real close together. There's two people in there, and it's real quiet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah, I, I, I can see how that how that becomes a, uh, a significant issue for... Uh, it was in my record center. I remember, you know, having someone walk through and, and be completely, uh, and this was an official uh, with the fire department, being completely confused as to how to deal with this stuff. It just didn't seem logical to them at all. Yeah, they they, misun- they misinterpret how to protect it, what it is, whether it's multi-row rack or double row rack or where the sprinkler protection should be. And uh, they have a, they, they, they get nervous about it and, my job is to go in and, and quell that nervousness and explain to them how it's acceptable or, or what needs to be done to be acceptable. Wow. So you, you also said that a lot of your work comes in response to um, current record centers uh, that have an issue with a fire department. A new, mm-hmm. a new fire official walks through and, and they see something. What are some of the trends that you tend to see, or do you have? Are there any trends right now that you're seeing in terms of the kind of calls you're getting on a regular basis? No, it's all over the board. Uh, they've been operating for 20 years in, in this place, and all of a sudden he comes in and, and uh, wants the enforcement of uh, smoke and heat vents or fire department access doors or wants a different protection scheme or uh Will allow, will not allow uh, horn strobes. It it varies. It's oh, okay. it's always different. Yeah. And and the other problem we have a lot of times with clients is that clients will say, "Well, I didn't have to do this in uh, San Francisco. Why do I have to do it in San Diego or or Phoenix or in Houston?" There's there's always that because there is a difference in interpretation and understanding of the code as well as local jurisdiction requirements. So that that whole thing of jurisdiction, uh, you then sort of end up having to figure it out across the board, don't you? Like, do you have sort of specialized knowledge or access to uh, documents related to every state or every city? How do how do you keep up with all that? Well, it's not easy, but uh, yeah, I've got Florida building codes. I've got the uh, city of Houston. I've got. California codes, there are amendments. The, the best thing ever happened was the international, in the 2000, the international code was developed. Okay. And the international code is used by everyone, but they modify it. In the city of Houston, they modify it. California, they modify it extensively, but it's the same basic code. Uh, oh, okay. You have to go into a jurisdiction, find out what code they're enforcing. Uh, are there any amendments? Are there any nuances to it? And, Get a copy of it or look at it. I have copies of a whole bunch of codes. Yeah. And I have people in Florida that now handle those issues there. They have the codes. We have people in Chicago, and uh, they they take care of uh, the Midwest. Uh, there's uh, quite, of, uh, quite a bit of, of understanding of the local codes, but there is a basic code, which is the International okay. Building Code, International Fire Code. And that, that one you probably, you know, recite in your sleep. sometimes because I, I do recall numbers and pages and really and uh, sometimes it kind of stuns uh, uh, an official when I tell him it's on page 241 of the international code, the international code. seriously it's it's become that embedded in your head well I, I have worked with this these codes uh, extensively since I moved to California 20, 
24 years ago. And when you use them every single day, yeah. you uh, tend to remember all this stuff. Because every day I work with a code book. Yeah. So as the, um, and this is maybe a little off topic, but I, I don't think it is. As the record center industry has integrated shredding a lot of times, and sometimes even in the same rooms, um, what what's the commingling of records and shred operations? How has that affected the the fire protection side of it? Uh, it, it has because that you, you have to remember in shred operations you will have a fire. Right. It's not will I have a fire or, or I might have a, I'm I'm not going to have a fire. You will have a fire eventually. Right. Because it's and, it's it's friction in. That's correct, yeah. and and you're exposing that, and there are. Some jurisdictions that look at that shredding operation as a uh, waste product production. There is a specific section, chapter chapter twenty three, no, twenty something of the uh, fire code that deals with uh, waste handling, hmm. and they want to apply it, and that requires a two hour separation between you and the, the record storage. Oh, okay. Uh, but the important thing is of this is to there's a lot of dust generated. And there have been dust ex- explosions. You want to prevent the exposure of dust. Dust getting in your in your record storage facility is not a good thing. And you should have that operation segregated by walls. Then sometimes it doesn't have to be a firewall, just a wall to prevent propagation of dust. Because you you'll be sending dust to your clients in their cartons, and they won't like it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the newest things that you're aware of that the the rim industry should be aware of. Be- because you have this unique vantage point you come from, what do you think people are missing or where are they where are they blind to things that they shouldn't be blind to that you could uniquely give them perspective on? There there isn't anything you would say new for 200 years. It's it's been a pretty simple uh, fire protection is pretty simple, wet stuff on the red stuff. And it is, the, the nuances have developed in the, the, the type of sprinkler heads, uh, the the distribution of water from the sprinkler head, uh, the amount of water from the sprinkler, the ESFR sprinklers. The, uh, the biggest change in the industry, I guess, is the, the u- use of gas. The Halon system... Was a halon was around. Now it's becoming FM two hundred and other gases used in vaults. Right. There have been considerations for other protection systems, bone protection systems, but they've been around for fifty years and nobody uses them because of the potential damage to the uh, to the records. Right. The uh, the newest stuff is this water mist that uh, utilizes a a system that produces a fog. And the fog dissipates the heat and, and extinguishes the fire. It's a unique system, but it's not it's not designed for the warehouse, the fifty thousand square foot. It's is designed for a twenty by twenty by twenty vault. Oh, okay. The 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 industry, the the uh, water mist industry, would like to see it installed in warehouses, and there have been some proposals, but. It requires detection systems, uh, interlock of valves, and they, they only protect a small area, and it wets down everything in that area. Oh. So again, if it discharges, it uh, 
tends to uh, moisten the boxes. Which is not good either. No, and it requires you to to dry them, and there is always the potential of mold growth and, and what have you. It's a it's a unique system that was developed for the marine industry, oh, okay. which is good in a uh, in a shipboard coal fire because it requires a small amount of water. But again, it's it's a specific application that should be used in a specific location and not try to use in uh, in large warehouses. Right. The best thing is sprinkler protection. And it has always been and will always be the best thing. So one, one of the things you said at one point, I heard you say uh, uh, at a conference or something, sprinkler systems are designed for a normal fire. Tell, tell yeah. me a little bit more about that. A normal fire or uh, uh, sprinkler systems are engineered for a fire that starts normally, I guess you wanted to say it. Uh, a waste basket or a single point origin like an electrical uh, electrical fire correct right okay one of these uh, type of uh, ignitions uh, in if you have a multi point fire like uh, arson fire right where they start three or four fires the sprinkler system is not engineered to to handle multiple locations at one time if in, because it's it's engineered to protect a a, a fire a single point fire. Yet, uh, if you when I talk a lot of times, you listen to I talk about sprinkler systems designed for point three for two thousand square feet. The hydraulics associated with the piping mm-hmm. is designed to be able to flow basically point three times two thousand six hundred gallons a minute to the most remote area in a building. Well, if someone comes in, and that that's because if if a fire, a normal fire, an electrical fire starts and it lights off the boxes and lights off this, that, and the other, the fire progresses at a at a steady rate, and based on test data, the area of application is 2,000 square feet is going to be about the maximum. You're going to get 20 sprinklers operating in this in this area in the oh, in the worst okay. case. Okay. If you have an arsonist who starts on a fire on this end and on that end, on that end, well, now you have three fires that have a combined flow of 1,800 gallons a minute. Well, the water supplies in the street are not, and the piping is not capable of delivering that oh. 1,800 gallons of these fires. Right. So that's not a normal fire. Right. Okay. That, and that, you that makes sense. you can't protect against arson. Yeah. And arson is is at least historically in this industry has been one of the the at least perceived to be one of the bigger factors that has destroyed buildings. That's correct. Ninety well, ninety ninety probably ninety eight percent of the fires that have occurred have been arson or human related. Uh, when you have uh, a person starts the fire, uh, the, the the fires that occur. Naturally, if the sprinkler system is designed correctly, control the fire. And you look at all the major losses that have occurred, the Iron Mountain fires, diversified fires, the uh, recall fires, and what have you, the big ones that have destroyed buildings were all arson fires. Yeah, yeah. So what do you wish every single record center knew um, as it related to fire protection that you think they might not be totally aware of? I think they need to do... Is, is make sure that they have their fire systems maintained. 
Hmm. You you look up there and say, okay, my sprinklers, they're there. But are the valves open all the time? Are you, are you having someone test the system annually? Are you having someone inspect it? Are you maintaining it? And in that maintenance, you have to look, am I storing boxes too close to the sprinklers? You know, yet you... You're supposed to maintain 18 inches between the sprinkler deflector and the top box, the top carton. And yet it's very easy, as you've probably recognized as you walk through record centers uh, in, in your day, that the the higher you can pile those boxes, the better. Oh, of course. You know, that everybody wants to, wants to squeeze as many boxes in there. And the person who's not understanding the standards and so forth looks at it and goes, God, I could stack two more boxes up there. Yeah. And... They do, and then the fire inspector comes in and says, you got to take them down. Well, where am I going to put them? I've already stacked them up there. And, but you have to because the sprinkler, when it discharges, it has to establish a pattern. And if a box is too close, it breaks that pattern, and then you don't get an even distribution of water in a fire, and you could uh, that could cause it to burn your building down. And that, that has happened, not in the records industry, but in other industries where... Mm-hmm. They've had a fire and it's it obstructed. Wow. Well, very, very interesting stuff. And, you know, you, you've been around the industry a long time and uh, you sit in your booth during the conferences. And, you know, I, I, I think sometimes when you're in a build mode, you're thinking about, well, I need, you know, fire protection and figure that out. But I, I'm really intrigued by the fact that you also... Uh, work with so many people as it relates to the ongoing stuff they deal with uh, in their record centers as it relates to fire protection on an ongoing basis. And and, and I think that's one of the reasons I was so intrigued to talk to you about it and, and let the industry hear more and learn more about what it is you do. Hey, I, I like to ask a few fun questions uh, sure. at the end of our interview, if you don't mind, just sure. to get a sense of who uh, Ward Como really is. So uh, what's your favorite car? Favorite car. If you could drive any car in the world, what would you be driving every day? Oh man, I don't know. I I drive a pickup now, but if, if I had a car, it'd be a convertible. What? I used to have a convertible. Uh, it would be nice to have a, a Corvette or a Ferrari or something like that. Yeah, convertible. So uh, you're driving in your Ferrari convertible. Uh, what music is playing on the uh, on the stereo? Oldies rock and roll. Oldies rock and roll. Yeah, very cool. If uh, tomorrow magically you had a day to do anything you wanted, you had no no one else demanding your time, and you could do anything you want, what would you do? Probably play a nice, quiet round of golf. Yeah, you're a golfer. Uh, a little bit, not much. Just just taking the game up. Uh, I've just hacked at it and just begun to uh, begin to taking some lessons and uh, playing uh, golf. Uh, once a week with a few friends. Oh, that's cool. And just uh, find it out. And finally, if you could have lunch with anyone that you greatly admire but you've never met, who would you have lunch with? I don't know. That would be. Uh, I don't know. You're not politically minded, obviously, because you know there's. No, there's, I'm not interested <laughs> in lunch with Obama or yeah, lunch right. with there, Reagan or. There's some people who with, jump to that one instantly, or. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting question to me because the it it a lot of times exposes what sort of the the underlying passion might be in terms of you know the area. Some people you know say they'd like to have have it with a musician or any kind of things. But hey, it, it'd be fun to have lunch with you someday. So well, I'd be um, glad to have lunch with you. That's uh, that's a come. You know, we go to Prism and 
know, come around and visit. I uh, I enjoy uh, talking to people and enjoy uh, I would enjoy having lunch with you and uh, anyone else there. I, I you know I answer a lot of questions for a lot of people. Oh, at, I'm sure you things. do. And yeah. I and I answer phone questions. A person's got a question said, you know, can I do this or can I not do this? I I you know I don't mind answering a free question uh, to say. Well, I don't think you can do that, or yes, you can do that, and you know maybe it leads to work. Maybe answering the question just simply answers that and saves him uh, some money and some or person's uh, time. Or say you know it's in this section of the code, tell the guy to go there, and if it, if it works out that I get some work out of it, then it's good. But if not, I've helped somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's well, the best thing. Well, I've I've heard that. So uh, on behalf of the industry, thanks for all your years of. Uh, making a difference in the industry. It's, uh, it's a great thing that you continue to do. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ward, for talking to us today, and thanks for your input. Thank you. Well, special thanks to Ward Como. That was uh, great to talk to Ward and hear his story and hear a little bit about what he does and the uh, incredible value he brings uh, our industry. And thanks to you, too, for joining us on the show. As always, we appreciate your uh, willingness to hear uh, the stories of people and what they're doing in this industry. If you've got something interesting to tell me and would like to share your story with the RIM Pro Report audience, I'd love to have you on the show. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. You know, what impresses me about uh, O'Neill is not just their dedication to creating a great software product, but it's also their customer support and their ongoing service. But even more than that is they're really focused on new development, really uh, focused on the future and where everything's going and uh, work hard and make significant investments to make that happen. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about O'Neill, software, you can visit them at O'NeillSoft.com. Well, that's it for us. We are out of here. Till next week, have a good one. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.